Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Uh, let's hear. Can Jeff? Can you help me grab the podium real quick so I don't have to work off sites? Oh, they got it. Great. Okay. So everyone say thanks anyway, Jeff. Are you gonna say thanks anyway, Jeff, or not? All right. Great. Thanks, guys. Poor Jose. He's worship leader, and then he has to be the lackey to get a podium over here to me. Can we thank Jose and the team for leading us in worship this morning? Yeah. All righty. Well, it's great to be back here again with everybody here at the East Campus. We are now a month into meeting in person, and so it's wonderful. I know. Woo, that's great. All we're trying to do, again, and even for those who might be listening to this on a podcast later, and we're just trying to create options for people to worship with God. We know that um, a good portion of our people are back with us in person, and even a larger portion are still online, and they're not ready yet, and that is okay. We're just trying to navigate towards normal bit by bit, week by week, and that's all we're trying to do. So we're grateful for that, grateful to have worship. Thank you, Rebecca, for leading us in prayer. We're ready to jump in. So let me ask you guys a question here. Uh, how many of you know the holiday that's coming up this week? Great. Okay, so obviously Halloween is coming on up. Um, Now, I'm not the biggest Halloween person in the world. It's like literally my least favorite holiday of the year. Is there anybody who's like diehard Halloween people here? Great. Are there some people who like, ah, take it or leave it? Okay, great. Here's why I can get behind Halloween. It's not for any like weird religious reason or whatnot. I just don't care for it. I don't like the spooky part of Halloween. I don't like the ghosts and the goblins and all that stuff. The part of Halloween I do like is free chocolate, so yay. Bless God, free chocolate. And by the way, it's even better when you're a dad than when you're a kid because there's a thing called the dad tax. Like, one, two, three for you, son, one for dad. Oh, yeah. And you get to, you get to throw away, like, the mounds and the almond joys. Nobody wants that, but dad's going to have the Nestle Crunch. There we go. I just offended all the women who love almond joy, didn't I? Yep. Now, so I can't get behind Halloween because of free candy, because of superhero costumes. It's just an excuse to dress up as Superman or Batman once a year. That's really great. Any other time of the year, people would think I'm weird, but not on Halloween. And uh, I'm excited also about Halloween because there's something about this time of year where people's like really weird, messed up, morbid senses of humor come out and it's socially acceptable. Like, have you ever been to the, uh, to the Haunted Mansion? at Disney World, and they have all those kind of in the line in the queue on the way there, they have all those gravestones like dearly departed Dave followed a bear into a cave. You know what I'm talking about? Well, I actually this week decided to Google some actual real gravestones. Can I show them to you? Great. Okay, so here's some actual real gravestones. Here's the first one. Raised four beautiful daughters with only one bathroom and still there was love. Right? All right, here's another one. I was hoping for a pyramid. (laughs) Uh, Anybody know who Merv Griffin was? Yeah, so famed TV host, media mongol. I will not be right back after this message. That's real. How about that? Here's another one. Mel Blanc. You might not know who Mel Blanc is. He's the guy who's the voice of Bugs Bunny. That's all, folks. 
How about that? And this one, this one's just sad and funny and messed up altogether. I told you I was sick. That's passive aggressive from the grave. Yeah. So, I mean, on a serious note, like we, we all know that, you know, that's all funny and stuff. And it, when we're looking at all these gravestones, one thing that's funny for me is like, man, that's how people want to be known. Like, okay, somebody's the, the jokes are crack. You can take the gravestones off. We don't need to look at that guy's passive aggressive swipe at his family anymore. But here's the one thing that we do know at this time of year is like, okay, the death rate is hovering at about 100% last time I checked, right? Now, don't worry, I'm not going to talk the whole time today about death. Welcome to church, you're going to die. You know, it's not one of those messages today, but it does give healthy perspective. And the reason they're showing you some of these gravestones is I want us to start thinking about when we reach the finish line of life, what do we want to be known for? What do you want to be known for? Certainly, we all want to be known for more than just cracking a joke, which is good. But what do you want to be known for? When all is said and done at the finish line of your life, what do you want to be known for? Um, I was in um, a journaling group that I lead on Tuesday mornings. We used to meet at Panera when people used to go to restaurants. Remember when we used to go to restaurants? Remember that? Yeah. Uh, so this journaling group that I have, we read the Bible together and then journal on it like the way that our church teaches, and we meet over Zoom, and which is strange enough for a bunch of young guys who have young kids, they actually are more faithful over Zoom than in person, which is the strangest thing for me. And so uh, we meet and we read the Bible together every Tuesday morning, and we journal on it. And uh, one of our guys had an incredible observation and application from this past, uh, from a couple weeks ago that I just want to share with you. I'm not going to show you the scripture. I'm not going to get into all of it, but this was the nub of what the Lord was saying to one of the guys in our journaling group on a couple Tuesdays ago. He wrote this, that he felt like the Lord was saying to him, live for the adjectives that people will place on your life. Live for the adjectives. Now, I remember just a little grammar lesson. A noun is a person, place, or thing, and an adjective is one of those things that describes those. So um, we just, we talked about, I was like, yeah, that's interesting to live for the adjectives that we want to be known for. Um, I just don't want to be known as a husband and a dad and a friend. Those are roles that I have. I want to live for the adjectives attached to those roles. I want to be known as a loving husband. I want to be known as a kind and gracious father. I want to be known as a loyal friend. Live for the adjectives that will one day be attached to your life. I started to think about this. I not only want to live for the adjectives that others will attach to my life when I reach the finish line. I want to live for the adjectives that God will attach to me when I reach the finish line. Do you guys remember that TV show on Bravo called Inside the Actor's Studio? Yes, great. Gloria's with me. Everyone else is not. So Gloria, do you remember when? Cool. So um, it was this show on Bravo called Inside the Actor's Studio. A guy named James Lipton, he would always interview famous actors. And this is what he would say at the end of every single episode in this series and at the end of every single interview he would do with the most prominent actors in all of Hollywood. He would end with this last probing question. He would ask them, If heaven exists, what would you like God to say when you arrive at the pearly gates? And so some of these actors, you know, just then thought about that. Some of them are spiritual, some of them are not. And here's some of the answers I thought were pretty funny. Robert Downey Jr., Iron Man himself, said, uh, what what would he want God to say? Boy, did I have a ball with you. 
Not bad. Bradley Cooper uh, would like to hear God say to him, hey, you hungry? Um, Amy Poehler from Parks and Rec, she thought, okay, uh, one serious, one not so serious. What would you like to hear God say to you if heaven exists? First one was, come on in. But the second thing she thought would be, see, your mom was right. And uh, the late, great Robin Williams, when they asked him, what, if heaven exists, what would you like God to say to you when you, re- you reach the pearly gates? And he would have loved to hear God say, they're seating near the front. The concert begins at five. There'll be Mozart, Elvis, and one of your choosing. Not bad, right? Now, but how many of you, if you've been in church long enough, and maybe you just, in broader culture, you've heard this phrase before, but there's this phrase that followers of Jesus used that Jesus taught in a parable once before about uh, someone coming to the end of the finish line, and the Lord saying to them, a person resembling the Lord in a parable said, well done, good and faithful servant. See, some of you know it. Do you hear the adjectives? Well done, Good and faithful servant. Good and faithful, not just servant. The adjectives attached to it. We want to, when we reach the finish line of life, live for the adjectives that God will bestow on us as we step into eternity. And we also want to live for the adjectives and the legacy that we'll leave behind for us. Today, I want to talk to you about finishing well. So if you're taking notes, go and write that down. You can open up the notes in the COH app. We're talking about finishing well today. We're in a series that we've been talking about for the past five weeks called Come Alive. Everyone say that with me. Come Alive. Great. And what we're talking about is allowing the deeper transformation of the grace of Jesus to occur in our lives, not just the surface level, but to go deep down into the depths of our soul to allow him to bring the deepest transformation uh, that he longs to bring in our lives, and we just have to yield to his work in that way. We're talking about two fundamental truths in this series. The first fundamental underlying core truth is that you will never be who you were created to be outside of a relationship with God. Um, in order for you to really become who God designed you, created you, made you to be, you're not going to be able to navigate that apart from a relationship with him. The second thing we're talking about in the series is that in addition to following God to become who you truly are, to come alive, you're going to need to combine your emotional health and your spiritual health together. A lot of times, people in our culture are religious but not spiritual, so they do all this self-care, maybe some spirituality, not really, but they never engage a relationship with Christ. And church people, people who come here all the time, will engage their spiritual lives but won't uh, engage their emotional health whatsoever. And we've said it for the past couple weeks, that if you're a jerk before you start following Jesus and you get saved, what happens is you become a saved jerk. You should do some work on yourself. Right. So here's where we've been. We've talked about knowing yourself, how to become yourself, how to navigate your past, how to direct towards your future. And today we're talking about how to finish well, how to finish well in life. And when we learn to live in a way that's aimed towards finishing well, it causes us to come alive. So our passage for today comes from uh, the New Testament book. It's a letter called 2 Timothy. It's not written by Timothy. It's written by a man named Paul who wrote the majority of the New Testament. But it's written to Timothy. Not necessarily like the, look at that, T-O-O, not T-W-O, whatever. I'm confusing. Okay. Um, I drank too much coffee. Um, It is not to Timothy. It's written by, uh, let me rewind. It is written by a man named Paul to his protege, Timothy, and Paul is actually at the end of his life. 
He's at his finish line and he knows it. And he has some some parting final instructions for Timothy. Did you hear what I just said? Did you hear it? (laughs) That's my favorite sermon slip I've ever had. Welcome to Community of Hope. We're professionals. How do you recover from that? Amen, let's leave, okay. Timothy, four, six. All right, help me, Jesus. Here we go. This is what Paul had to say to Timothy and to us. He says this, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I can't get over, I'm sorry. Okay, verse seven. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Okay, so the title of today's message we're calling Start at the Finish Line. Start at the Finish Line. Okay, let's pray. Lord, my prayer and our prayer for Community of Hope this morning, um, not just our church, but for us as individuals, we want more of you. We are hungry for you and your word. So as we read the Bible this morning and examine it, would you cause the Bible to read us? Your word is alive and active. Come Holy Spirit and speak exactly what we need you to say to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. I want to show you a picture on the screen. Anybody know who this is? Lou Gehrig, not Jackie Robinson. Lou Gehrig. He was known as the Iron Horse of Baseball, which, by the way, the World Series game last night, game four, dramatic fashion, go Tampa. Boom. Great. If you haven't seen the highlights, that was great. Uh, Lou Gehrig was the Iron Horse of Baseball, and he's famed for his 2,130 consecutive games played streak, made one of the most memorable speeches in the annuals of sports here in this picture. Heartfelt and poignant, this man with less than two years to live shared his feelings to an enraptured audience that left tears rolling down the cheeks of all but a few that day in Yankee Stadium. It was on July 4th, 1939, Lou Gehrig Appreciation Day, when the longtime Yankees first baseman uttered the famous words at home plate ceremony at Yankee Stadium, for the past two weeks, you have been reading about a bad break, yet today I consider myself, here it is, the luckiest man on the face of the earth. This is one of the most famous farewell speeches from the 20th century. Now, what we're talking about today for the past two millennia, the past two millennia, followers of Jesus have considered the words we just read in 2 Timothy chapter 4 to actually be Paul's farewell address. And these three verses, 6 and 7 and 8, This is Paul's farewell. It's 52 words in Greek, and it's considered one of the greatest farewell messages ever penned. Many scholars even consider it greater than such valedictorian addresses such as Lincoln's Gettysburg Address and other similar addresses. In just 52 words, Paul captures the essence of his 
whole life in six and seven and eight. And here's the one thing I just observed in my own study from these verses and from this passage is that Paul, at the end of his life, has no regrets. None. Notice the language that he has. I fought the fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. No regrets. It's pretty impressive if you ask me. And so what we're going to be doing today is looking at the life of Paul, looking at some of these words here with him at the finish line. We're going to join him as moments before he's about to cross the finish line. He's about to die. We can see it clearly from the passage. He knows his, his death is impending and it's coming. And right at the finish line, we're going to join him and hear what he has to teach us. And we're going to look at his journey throughout his life and what we can learn to live in such a way as he did. Because I don't know about you. I want to live in such a way that I have no regrets. I want to live in such a way that when I get to the finish line, I feel confident in how I've lived, the legacy I'm leaving, the adjectives my wife and my children, my friends and my church will say about me and what God will hopefully say about me by the grace of Jesus. I want this for me and I want it for you. I want to help you finish well today, and so does Paul. Paul even says in other places in the New Testament, imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's what we're going to do today. If you want to finish well, let's learn to imitate Paul. So here's some things that we can learn from Paul's life and from his ministry. Here's the first thing. If you're taking notes, write this down. One of the first things we can see from Paul is the word decide. We have to decide if we want to finish well in life. Decide. Um, if we want to finish our lives well, we want to finish the race, we have to first decide. Now, Paul used uh, race metaphors all throughout his writings in the New Testament to, to describe the journey of life and faith, of races and running. Now, I hate running. Anybody else here love or hate running? I should say, anybody else hate running? My people, my people, right? Short Scottish legs only supposed to be stealing horses in the highlands of Scotland. My family motto is Johnston's don't run. Johnston's only run if being chased, right? I was on wrestling team in high school. I, the only sports I was good at is combat sports. You guys have heard me say that. And we were running wind sprints up a hill at my high school. And my coaches were yelling at me all the time of, Johnston, you're slow. And then eventually one day my coach and I'm running as fast as my little legs can carry me. Running, running, running. And my coach eventually says, Johnston, you, you have short legs. You're slow. And I yelled back at my coach, I've been telling you that for three years. I hate running. I hate running. But we can still learn from some of this language about running a race. See, Paul clearly, in his mindset, if you look at the New Testament, decided what kind of race he was going to run and how he was going to finish. Uh, look at this passage here. It's from Acts chapter 20, verse 24. Now, this is not taking a writing from a letter. This is from a narrative story where Paul is speaking to the leaders at a church in the city called Ephesus, which is interesting because when Paul wrote the letter 2 Timothy, he was writing it to Timothy, who was the pastor of this church in Ephesus. 
So this is earlier on. If we rewound the tape several years earlier, Paul is even saying things like this. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given to me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. We can see clearly somewhere along the way, Paul decided what race he was in, what was important to him, how he was going to live his life, and how he was going to finish that race at the finish line. Now, this principle people have begun to pull from the New Testament for years and centuries. Uh, There's a famous book from um, a great leadership expert. He's passed now, but it's a classic. It's called uh, Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Anybody ever heard of that before? Yeah, classic book. It's great. And Stephen Covey wrote this. You can take that verse off there. One of the habits of highly effective people, I wonder if he studied Paul. One of the habits of highly effective people is they they start with the end in mind. You don't start with the beginning in mind. You start with the end in mind. You envision what you want this thing that you're creating to end up like. Instead of just doing it with a project, you do it with your own very life. And get this, you know what Stephen Covey suggests for people to do? To begin with the end in mind about their life and how to finish well? He says for people to plan their own funeral. A little morbid. Too morbid for me this morning, so I decided to do something else that kind of goes along with this. Instead of you coming to church and somebody telling you, plan your own funeral, check this out. Um, there was a, a fad that went around on the internet last year. There was this thing called Face App. They'll take a picture of you and either fast forward you by 50 years or rewind you by 50 years. You know what I'm talking about? I had it on my phone for a split second, and then I found out it was a Russian-owned app, and I just gave my face to the Russians. Great, so I deleted it. But I still have the pictures. So here's a picture from me. And this is a normal picture of Trevor. And this is what I like to think of. This is Trevor pre-COVID-19. This is Trevor in February, 2020, best year yet. It's on the way. And this is me, this is me post-COVID-19. Right? Well, thank you. Still good looking. Come on now, that guy can play handsome Santa. Okay. Now, um, now, it's funny to think about, like, ha, 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 I look, I mean, I look a lot like my dad, which is really kind of cool. Um, but actually, I, this is silly to admit to you guys, but I had a spiritual experience when I first saw this picture. Um, because I realized, like, this is me 50 years from now. And I literally thought to myself, who is this guy? Who is he? I looked in his eyes and the smirk on his face, the smile on his face, and I thought, you know, this guy, he's deep with Jesus. He's had years and years of drinking coffee and spending long times of prayer talking to the son of the living God. This guy has been faithful to his wife and is in love with her still, still buys her flowers. This guy is loved and trusted by his children, adored by his grandchildren. Hopefully I'll have them. This guy's been faithful in ministry to Jesus and has spent his life making disciples of Jesus Christ. This guy has managed his health well. He's managed his money well and is living and blessing to become a blessing for others. This guy loves life, has endured hardships, and still laughs. 
That's who that guy is. I literally started to think about that. And you know what I was doing? I was starting at the finish line. I want you to do this. Now, some of you, we have a diverse congregation here. Even with half of us are back and half of us are at home, there's a wide uh, span of ages here. Even if you're closer to the finish line than me, because I'm still relatively young, even if you're closer to the finish line, you can still do this exercise. It's not too late for you. Literally go home and make a list of who you're going to be and what adjectives people place on your life at the finish line. It's transformative. And if you decide what race you're going to be in and how you're going to finish it, it informs how you live right here, right now, today. Decide who you're going to be. Now, we not only learn from Paul, that we have to decide who we're going to be and what race we're in and how we're going to finish at the finish line. We can also see from Paul that we have to fight. We have to fight. Now, Paul uses multiple athletic metaphors all throughout his writings, primarily, which is running, but then another, thank God, is combat, and mostly, thank goodness, wrestling. Yes. Notice here, we're going to show 2 Timothy 4, 7. This is part of our passage that we said, I have fought the good fight. Paul says to Timothy, fight the good fight. And in the earlier letter that he wrote to Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. Paul said to the Ephesian church in his letter to them, put on the armor of God so you could stand against the devil. He also said to them that they need to take their stand and that their struggle is not against flesh and blood, but their struggle is against the spiritual forces of evil and in the heavenly realms. And no, when he's talking about that, he's not talking about the undertaker. But... Nobody even knows who the undertaker is. That's just for me. Okay. But how do we fight this fight of faith? How do you fight to finish well? How do you fight to end well at the finish line? It's not exciting. It's not sexy. You want to know how you fight once you've made a decision to become who God created you to be? It's in your habits. That's right. It's in your habits. Uh, recently, Duke University came out with some interesting research. And uh, this study from Duke found out that as much as 40% of the actions we take every day are not the products of our choices, but of our habits. Almost half of your life is the product of the habits you've cultivated and not your choices. This study goes on to explain that this shows that much of what is fundamentally shaping our existence is actually happening unconsciously to us. Uh, there's a man who wrote a book called The Common Rule that we've referenced around here, and this is what he says here. He says that we have a common problem. By ignoring the habits uh, by ignoring the ways habits shape us, we've assimilated to a hidden rule of life, the American rule of life. This rigorous program of habits forms us in all the anxiety, all the depression, all the consumerism, the injustice, and the vanity that are so typical in contemporary American life. It's urgent, then, that we recover the wisdom of crafting gospel-based rules of life. 
as a new norm for living as a Christian in America today. We desperately need to set a counterformative practice, counterformative practices to become the lovers of God and of neighbor we were created to be. Here's what I want to tell you about fighting, okay? Um, in all seriousness, this is the only type of sports I was ever good at in my entire life, is combat sports. Those who win in combat are not those who are most passionate, but those who have trained the best. What will get you to the finish line of life and to live the life that you want, to be known the way that you want to be known by God and by others, is not your passion, is not your zeal. It's by what you do in your daily rhythms, day in, day out. It's in the boring routine things that you choose to put into your life. None of us expect to get fit and to get into shape without exercising and without working out. But yet we fully expect to have a vibrant faith and life with God without putting in the work every single day. Can I just say that? Dallas Willard, great spiritual formation author, said this, that the path of spiritual growth and the riches of Christ is not a passive one. Listen to this. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's only opposed to earning. God's opposed to you earning something with him. Grace is free, but he expects you to put in the effort to join him and to cooperate with him in this endeavor. Um, one of the things I felt like God wanted me to share with you guys about what does this look like to create habits to fight for the life that you want to have at the end, to finish well. What does that look like? Well, over the years, because of um, some books I've read and some wonderful mentors I've had and people pouring into me and Pastor Dale's leadership in my life, um, I've created something that Christians call a rule of life, which is really just a list of habits that I've cultivated over the past 10 years, adding one or two a year. If you try to do this all at once, you'll burn out. But you got to start somewhere. And um, I pick different roles in my life. And what are the habits that if I do those over the course of my life will get me to the finish line I want to be at? And so I wrote that because I'm a son of God, I'm going to pray each day. Not spend an hour in prayer. I'm just going to have a moment in prayer. I'm going to journal and read my Bible a certain number of times per week. I'm going to confess my sins every day. Occasionally I'll fast. I'm going to memorize scripture once a month. Because I'm a husband to Leah, I'm going to pray daily with my wife. I'm going to kiss my wife on the lips for at least three seconds once a day. It's, it's deeply spiritual, I'm telling you. If you kiss somebody longer than a then a peck, it forces you to stop in the hurriedness of life and keeps your love fresh. Amen? I'm going to take my wife on a date every single week. There's a few other things, but I'm also going to have boundaries in my life. Um, I'm not going to, there's certain things that I won't do. I mentor men and women, but you won't see me riding alone in a car with another woman other than my wife. You won't see me do that. You won't see me meet uh, with a woman other than my wife if it's not in public. You just won't. My wife has all my passwords to every digital device I have. 
because I'm a daddy. I'm going to play with my kids the first 15 minutes every day when I get home from work. I'm only going to do church stuff three nights or less a week. Because I'm a son, I'm going to call my parents and FaceTime with them at least once a week. Because I'm a human being, I'm going to sleep a certain amount. I'm going to have a hobby. I'm going to Sabbath. Because I'm a steward, here's some other habits I have. I'm going to give. I'm going to budget. And I have some other ones because I'm a pastor. The reason I'm reading this to you is not to tell you, hey, look, you should do what I do. But it's to tell you, if you decide where you're going to go, you're going to need habits that get you there. Who do you want to be? And what are some habits you need to cultivate to get you there? Can I make one recommendation for you? This was just from my list, but I'm going to just give you one recommendation for all of us to try this week, okay? Here's a picture of a book from a man named John Eldridge. You're a wild at heart, great book. And he wrote a new book called Get Your Life Back. Anybody else feel like that in 2020? You need to get your life back? Man. Well, he talks about a habit that he commends to every Christ follower this year in particular. It's called the One Minute Pause. In fact, you can go download it. It's a free app. You can go get it on your phone. It's called the One Minute Pause, where he tells everybody that in the midst of the craziness of life, you need to learn how to pause and be still in God's presence. And let me tell you, I needed that this year. In the midst of coronavirus, God went missing for me. I was doing the things. I was praying. I was reading my Bible. I work at church for crying out loud, and I couldn't find God. He went missing. I couldn't connect with his presence unless I was silent. And I turned off all my devices and put a timer on. I said, I'm just going to wait and be here in your presence. Some of you really need that. I encourage you to check that out. So we have to decide. We have to fight. And here's one of the last things that we see. We have to learn how to endure. And another piece that we see from Paul about finishing well is enduring. Paul finished his race. He finished it. He didn't start and quit three months in. He finished his race, you ever heard this? It's not how you start, but how you finish. And Paul finished. He didn't quit. He didn't compromise. He didn't turn back. He had no regrets. He endured to the very end. And let me tell you, that's inspiring and it's daunting to me. Because I hate long runs. And life is a little bit of a marathon. Um, a buddy of mine in one of my small groups, he not only runs marathons, he runs what's called ultra marathons. You ever heard of it before? Here's one that he did in the May this year. This is called the Lake to Ocean 100K. He ran from Lake Okeechobee to the coast in one day. That's not a 5K, it's a 100K. And that is 62.51 miles. And in one day, he ran over 17 hours. Why would anybody do that to themselves? Right? And uh, that's an incredible feat to run an ultra marathon like that in one day. Amazing. You know how he did it? How he kept going? Because there are certain points where he just put his hands down on his knees and just thought to himself, I can't go anymore. Just like many of us do. And just like some of you might be feeling, and some of you who might be listening to this later, and you're thinking to yourself, I can't go on anymore. Well, my friend, he never said, 
was because I just gutted it out, and I'm tougher than everybody else, and I endured. So there. That's not what he did. And let me tell you, it's not what Paul did either. That's not how they endured. My friend said this. Go and put the picture back up of his run. He said with his hands on his knees, in the middle of the afternoon after having the sun beat down on him and fry him in the run, that eventually a cool breeze came on him and it refreshed him. And he could start putting one foot in front of the other. And then he said next that then it started to rain. First just little drops and then a consistent rain. And then it started pouring rain down on him. And it refreshed him. And it renewed him. And put wind in his sails. And he was literally out loud thanking God for the wind and the rain. And it renewed him to be able to endure and keep going. Here's the last thing I want to tell you about how to get to the finish line of life the way that you want to, just like the Apostle Paul did. It's because Paul had a secret. He wasn't running in his own strength. To endure, you have to have a partner. You have to have a partner. And he says this here. If we just fast forward in our verses from verse 8, if you just go down to verse 17 in chapter 4, we're going to put it on the screen. Listen to this. Paul wrote here, the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear and I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Go back to verse 17, please. But the Lord stood at my side and he gave me strength. If you're able, would you please stand? I'm smart enough as a pastor to know that some of you have come here today and you are tired. And some of you have come here today and you are empty. And some of you have come here today where you need God. And you have your hands on your knees. And you don't know how much more you can take. Some of you have had a tough break this week. You've had something happen at your job or at your home or maybe something at a doctor's office. I don't know what it is. But life is hard. Life is a full contact sport. Life is not easy. And it beats the life out of you. And we need another source of strength. This is from Habakkuk 3, verse 19. We're going to put it on the screen. It says this, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He not only gives strength, he is strength. He is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. And then he gives final instructions for this song. God is here. And just like with the apostle Paul, and he's calling that person right there on the front row. And just like he stood next to Paul and gave him strength, he's here to stand next to you and to give you strength. Would you bow your heads? Let's pray. If you feel comfortable, would you put your hands out in front of you like this, just palms up. It's not magic, but it's just a posture of openness towards God. 
And some of you need to tell him that you need strength. Go ahead and do that now. Some of you just need to admit to God, I can't do it on my own. Go ahead and do that now. There's somebody in this room who's struggling with anxiety this morning, and you've been trying and trying and trying to beat it. You just need to confess to God that you can't beat it on your own. He's standing next to you to give you strength. Father, in the name of Jesus and by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you impart fresh grace and strength to all of my friends here? Lord, we're here to decide to live the way that you've called us to live. We're here to fight for it with our habits. Lord, we're here to endure, but we cannot do this on our own. We connect to you now by your grace. Would you pour your strength into us? We need you, Lord. I'm just going to give you one more moment by yourself to just pause and have a moment of prayer with God. And encourage you to breathe in his strength and to exhale your pressures and pain. Thank you, Lord. We love you. We worship you because you are the God who renews strength when we partner with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Listen, before we dismiss you, we're gonna have prayer team here in the back room. If you need prayer for anything, I encourage you to go that way. Go get help. Go receive strength from God. If you're ready to take your next step in faith, you can just text the number on the screen. But otherwise, go in God's peace. We'll see you next week.